good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. Thank you, Louise. Thank you, Dennis, bringing that voice to us this morning. Oh. Used to be a time in my life when somebody would say, I heard about you. And I was thinking to myself, now, I don't think I did anything wrong, but what you hear? Uh, I was reminiscing. Sometimes I have these thoughts coming to my mind about things that have happened in my life. And I was thinking about when I was in elementary school. And I had an assignment to do a poem, or write a poem, and wasn't quite sure how to do that, because that wasn't my area. And I had my dad help me you know, write the poem. And I remember when my son was in high school, he had an assignment to do a major research paper. I think one of his first ones he had to do. And he asked me for some help or some guidance on it, and I was thinking about how history kind of repeats itself in so many ways, in a positive way. And we were thinking about what would be the topic. And so we decided to do a, a paper, or he decided to do a paper on Nelson Mandela. A couple of reasons is that my son's middle name is Mandela, and I named him, or we named him, because of that experience of uh, Nelson Mandela and what he had done. And he, Nelson Mandela also had been a, a personal model, role model for me, a mentor. Of course, I didn't know him personally, uh, but I did know that he spent 27 years in prison in preparation to become president. And I thought that, well, that is quite an apprenticeship. And we realized that uh, he had spoken and written about the time that he was relegated to hard labor in the prison there. And he shared how he felt he was incarcerated for life as a result of his effort to try to end apartheid during his era. And he said, at first, I had a very little hope that this could happen, you know, my vision of changing that. And he filled his mind with these thoughts that it could never happen. He never began to realize the vision that was coming through him. But one day, he had a revelation. Some possibility came through his mind. And he saw the glimpse of what could happen. And it popped into his awareness. It popped into his consciousness. That the good that he was working for could, in fact, still happen. And he nurtured that possibility. He nurtured that revelation. And suddenly it became stronger. And soon another thought arose in his mind. 
And he moved from a sense of hope to a strong belief that the experience that he was going through was exactly what was necessary for his vision to become true. And maybe he was there, he was incarcerated because that was the means for him to achieve the end that he had in mind. So he began to see his circumstances differently. He began to rethink. You know, we hear the word to to repent, but repent simply means to rethink, to rethink, to think differently. And he recognized that his imprisonment was how the process looked on the way to manifesting the vision that he had. And once he got in that frame of mind, the idea of writing letters occurred to him. And it was through his letter writing that the the Western media picked up about his story. And it set in motion a series of events that led to worldwide pressure for South Africa to end apartheid. And Mandela's release ultimately from prison and ultimately become elected president of the very country that imprisoned him. And he demonstrated the greatest forgiveness movement and reconciliation movement in contemporary history. He redirected his mindset from hopelessness to seeing possibilities, to full-fledged belief that, in fact, his purpose for being on this planet could be fulfilled. And it was. And I would say that he put in action the gifts of hope and the gifts of faith that we all have. Well, as Paula mentioned, that this is the first of our four Sundays of Advent. I kind of look at that as like the Christmas version of Lent. Leading up to this Christmas season or the mass celebration of the Christ presence, and I always like to say Christ is not a person but simply that part of God within all of us or the divine essence that dwells in every human being. You know, traditionalists would focus on hope during the first week of Advent. But in our tradition, in unity and other new thought is inspired by the statement that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So we contemplate both hope and faith as we prepare our hearts and our minds for Christmas. And I kind of call it the faith-hope continuum. I don't know if it's like the time-space continuum. It's less complicated. Because we have to have hope in order to move and see the possibilities where there appear to be none. We have to direct, redirect our focus and adopt new ways of thinking and behaving in order to bring forth that which we're focusing on into reality. And of course, this is what Nelson Mandela did. He redirected his faith faculty from that sense of hopelessness to a sense of hope. And as he increased his hope on this continuum, he entered the realm of belief, which is the next level. You know, if we were to sum up the teachings that I believe that what New Thought and Unity is all about, those who are in this alignment, is probably in eight words. It is done unto you as you believe. I think that's eight. It's close enough. It's done unto you as you believe. So we can affirm to ourselves, it is done unto me as I believe. In fact, let's say that together. It is done unto me as I believe. But we never just want to stop at the level of belief. Because there is sometimes a tension between two different beliefs that we may have. 
You know, on one hand, we may say, oh, I live in an abundant, prosperous universe. All my needs are met. But we may look around our surroundings, our circumstances, and we see a lot of lack. We see a lot of limitation and anxiety begins to creep in. And it begins to betray the belief that we are living and moving and having our being in abundance. Of course, the way to resolve such contradictions is to activate and direct or redirect our faith faculty. I think when we direct our faith, we're not judging any longer by what we see. We're not judging from appearances, but seeing with right judgment which means we must put our faith into that which we do not see. And I often say this from time to time that, you know, faith is like when you believe in more in what you don't see than what you do see. What you do see, you don't see. And what you don't see, you do see. You see. You see. Now, understand that people think faith means to have faith in something, to have faith in a God, to have faith in, in something outside of ourselves. And if we do, oh, God will show up. God will answer our prayer, solve our problems, meet our needs. Somehow, if we're good enough and worthy enough and we haven't made too many mistakes, oh, God will rescue us. But as we talked about in our series, in our Faith in Action series, faith is a spiritual faculty that is already here. It's within us. It's whole. It's complete. We have all the faith we're ever going to have or we're going to need. So the question really is this. How are we going to direct this faith energy, this faith power? Are we going to direct it toward limitation? Are we going to direct it toward lack? Are we directed toward our problems? Are we directed toward negativity? If so, what shows up is lack and limitation, problems and negativity. But if we focus our attention on what's possible, then that's what will begin to show up in our life. I think to put it another way, are we going to put our faith in the limits? Or are we going to put our faith on the opportunities that are always there? Opportunities are bound around us. It all goes back to consciousness, the sum total of our beliefs, and where we focus our faith power. You know, as that statement goes that many of us have heard over the years, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you are right. You're right. You know, there's a story about the power of faith, you know, where we direct our faith, and it takes place subsequent to the Civil War in this country, a time period that we call Reconstruction, and it's about a former enslaved woman. She was a child of slaves, and uh, she was so-called poor, and she was uneducated. She was a laborer. But somehow she had a vision, and she set out on a mission. And during her time, there was a method that was treating hair that caused her to lose her own, and, and so she developed some alternative that would stop this kind of hair loss. And she tried it on her friends, and it worked miracles for them as well. And then she developed, you know, this method of hair grower. And she set out on that vision and she set out on a mission to move from being that domestic worker to creating her own business, manufacturing these products and distributing them all over the country. 
So in 1900, with a dollar and 50 cents, which might be $150 today, I don't know, it wasn't much, she started her own movement, a company. And probably in about 10 years, she had 5,000 agents selling her product. She had a chain of beauty parlors across the United States and the Caribbean and South America. And eventually, this African-American woman, despite what appeared to be incredible, impossible odds, became the first self-made woman millionaire in America. You know, there's a story you can see on TV, I think, about her, Madam C.J. Walker. But I think she demonstrated the power of focusing our faith faculty on an idea. We look at others and say, well, that's just them. But understand, whatever anyone has done, we can do. At least in our own way, it's in alignment with our purpose. So what we want to do, we want to leverage our faith faculty in our lives and in our world to bring the unseen into the visible. This is what all the spirituality is about, is really bringing what we cannot see. It's easy to trust what we can see, you know. So we may ask, how do we begin to do this as we look at this first week of Advent of hope and faith? Well, we want to, first of all, transform the doubt with our faith faculty. You know, doubt always comes up. Well, for most people, uh, it rears its head whenever we strive for something new, whenever we strive for something better, whenever we stretch beyond our boundaries of what we have known up until this point. And that doubt recognizes that in those moments when our ambition rises, oh, the very existence of doubt is in peril. It's going to be destroyed. So the only thing it can do is to try to knock us off our path and to sing its pessimistic song. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know what tune that is, but it's singing all kinds of songs. And sometimes that song that comes in our minds can be unsteadying to us. And we end up getting trapped into a loop of negativity, loop of negative thoughts and feelings. You know, we may say things, oh, I'm not sure it's time for me to do something different with my life. Oh, I'm not sure maybe it's not time for me to move somewhere to, to, to do what I really love. Oh, maybe that person may say no if I ask them for my favor to help me along the way, and I don't want to ask them. I don't know if it's a good idea to follow my passions. Doubt begins to prevail whenever the doubting thoughts turn into words. It could be our words or it could be other people's words around us that may be well-meaning, but it's not really helping us. And it usually starts out with, what if? What if that doesn't work out? What if I can't handle it? What if they don't like me? What if I lose? What if I can't turn back after I start? What if they take advantage of me along the way? You know, I think of Madam C.J. Walker, and I imagine that she faced a lot of questions about around the people around her who would say things like, girl, you better keep your job as a domestic worker. You, that's a good job. Keep that. But sages tell us that when doubt has a hold on us, we redirect our faith energy to tear away that doubt. Faith is a deep conviction. Faith is a deep trust a knowing of our beliefs that something is true. It's just like deep within us, we know that we know that we know, and what the appearances are don't really matter. 
And this conviction comes from choice. We choose to believe something and hold on to that belief tightly, even in the face of what appears to be unknown. You know, I, I remember a time I used to go to some of my son's uh, tournaments. He was on a, a mock trial team, and he was in high school and, and, and college, and he, and he had a very good team. He was one of the, you know, not because he's my son, but he was really good. Uh, you know, he had great skills at it. And it kind of reminded me when I was doing my little kind of stuff in, in, in high school and mark, in a debate, and my teammate and I, we had a wonderful scholarship to go to Georgetown University one summer to what they call this workshop, and all the, the best you know, competitors would come and be part of the workshop under James Unger. He was a championship coach at the time. And, and anyway, but to get all story short, I was around all these other people, and they were, well, you know, it's very interesting to be around people who really are full of themselves. <laughs> you know, they know everything. And I was telling them that, you know, I have this desire to go to this really prestigious college. And, and they were saying, they were trying to throw a wet blanket on that and said, oh, this ain't going to work. We know your background. You know, I didn't know anything about, you know, the percentages. If I really knew the percentages of the possibilities, I probably wouldn't have thought it was possible either. But I had a naive faith. I did it anyway. And not only did I get into that college, I got into one better than that. And I did it because I needed to make them know that they couldn't tell me what I could or could not do. There's something within me that knew that it was possible. Now, it doesn't mean that we overestimate our skills or we overestimate our strengths. Rather, we humbly say, I believe in my ability to learn. I believe in my ability to figure things out. And with enough focus and enough dedication, we know we can learn to do what must be done and become what we must become to fulfill our own dreams and hopes and visions that are within us, are instilled in us. Then I think the second thing we can do to, to leverage our faith faculty is when it's late at night, when it's early in the morning and everything is quiet in those still moments. You know, we may grab our journal or nowadays our iPad and write all the reasons that we believe in ourselves and believe in this world that we want to create. What we have done already and what we know we have done in the past helps us reinforce the possibilities. We look at the reasons that we can find to believe that tomorrow will be better and the world will open up for us. We begin to simply write those things down and begin to read them back to ourselves in the morning, in the evenings, and, and the direction of our faith faculty starts going in that direction. It becomes strengthening. It moves from that sense of hope to belief to absolute faith. And we remember why it's there. This is why affirmations can be so powerful. You know, we ask and affirm what it is that we want and affirm what can be possible for us even when we don't see it in this moment. And there's one particular uh, approach I really like. Uh, a gentleman wrote a book called Affirmations. You, you may ask, how am I able to do such and such? And what happens, our mind starts looking for all the answers because our mind is always seeking to answer the questions that we ask. But we begin to speak those things, believe those things, affirm those things. And then we begin to use that faith faculty to make it happen. And then there's the third thing to leverage our faith, and that is act. You know, in our fifth principle, we had to take action. You know, 
we've traveled along the hope-faith continuum. And somebody says, well, you know, you got some hope and faith and belief. Congratulations, you're 90% done. You only have 50% left. In other words, yeah, you can believe it and you can feel it, but you still got to put your faith in action in alignment with where you're going to go. And I think that's what Madam C.J. Walker did. She was told it was impossible for her to do what she wanted to do. But her faith and her actions blew that doubt away. She took the action. And oftentimes, that's what we need to do. Sometimes we just need to go for it. Decide to go in the direction of our idea. And sometimes people think, and maybe I even think this, that a decision in wishing or simply hoping mean the same thing. It's not. When we decide and we happen to have faith in our decision, what we're doing is cutting away everything unlike the certainty of the thing that we have decided on. Decide means to cut away everything else. I remember when I, you know, you know I'm a recovering lawyer. <laughs> in order to get to that point, I had to go to law school. And I remember after I finished college and I'd worked for a couple of years at a newspaper, and uh, my father suddenly died unexpectedly uh, and, uh, you know, needed to help out the family because I had four brothers, three sisters, my, my mom was alone. And, and so, I, you know, I just gave him all the money that I had, and I was saying, now, how am I going to, you know, continue on with this, you know, going to school? But something told me, he said, just get in your car and just go. I had no idea how this was going to work out. But I did go and talk to the dean, and somehow they figured out money for me to get there and to get through. I think the idea is you just act, move in the direction of your conviction. You know, you make the decision, sometimes the money will just come. And I realize that we can't make a decision based upon visible resources. See, a decision pulls the invisible out of us. An individual making a decision based upon their, what they see only, oftentimes they don't go anywhere because they're basing their vision only on what their eyes can see. But when we make a decision, we're making a covenant, we're making an agreement with our higher self, the divine self, the unlimited self. And the I am begins to show up. The image and likeness of God, which is omniactive, omnipresent, will show up. So we can't wait for it to show up for a sign or signs to show up. Often signs show up after we act, after the consciousness. It doesn't always proceed it. It sometimes does. But when we make a decision, everything works together for our good. We start getting the signs. We're reading a book, an idea comes up. We're listening to a piece of music, an idea comes up. We're watching something on TV, a time, an idea comes up, and that's where the riches are. All these serendipitous things show up because we've decided and moved in the direction of what we decided on. Howard Thurman, who was the mentor of Martin Luther King, said something, if you have the strength to affirm the prerogative of your spirit, a host of invisible angels will wing to your defense. It will call you to let you know that something is coming along your way. And God has come into its own. Anyway, as I close out this first week of, of Advent, you know, we, we acknowledge that appearances have their challenges. 
So often we place our faith faculty on the challenges. So that's all we see. We see the challenges. We see the limited resources. We see maybe the people or the organizations that are working against us or seemingly working against us. You know, we wake up, our knee is hurting. The boss is a jerk. The systems are down. All these things start coming along our way. Yet understand that the challenges in this three-dimensional world are there, but also there are opportunities New resources of leverage and ideas just waiting to be embraced and where we can place our attention. Because as we say, energy flows where our attention goes. Where are we placing our attention? We can get our attention to a lot of stuff. We get bombarded every day if you're open to it with all kinds of news and I would call it the olds. There's nothing new. It's just the olds regurgitated as news. But the question is, where are we going to direct our faith power? On the limits or the opportunities? Or the fear or the love? Whatever we rehearse and whatever we focus on are the ones that shape our attitude, shapes our actions. How many times a day do we think or announce the limits that are facing us? The people that we can't trust. The problems that seem to weigh us down. The challenge with focusing on appearances only is that they always keep us from focusing on opportunities, on a chance to contribute and to make something better that is beyond the physical eye's sight that we have. So, yeah, there are challenges. They exist. They alert us, however, to the realization there are always opportunities, ten times as many available to us that are in the invisible realm that are waiting to be expressed. And this is what our faith faculty can do for us. So I say, thank God. Thank the force, as I like to call it. Thank the presence that we are blessed with the gifts of hope, the gifts of faith, the gifts of belief. And we're going to build on that as we move toward the ultimate day of birthing the Christ presence within us. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center